0: Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe
1: to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today.
0: The thing about families is that at one point or another, we've all both hated and loved those we're related to, but rarely has it been described as Kelly S. Thompson does in her new memoir, Still, I Cannot Save You. It's about her relationship with her sister, the expectations we have for our siblings, and how our wrongs don't need to define us. And Kelly S. Thompson joins us now. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Um, so <laughs> I'm just going to let the audience know that <laughs> I will probably cry at some point. Me too. In this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really hard to read this book without tissues, uh, lots of tissues. What was it like for you to emotionally write it, to relive <sighs> those experiences?
1: I I mean, I think sometimes we have this vision of of authors just sitting and typing away and sobbing, but that really was me. I mean, I, I would closed my computer and um, my face was swollen every single day. It, I think my family has been sort of wondering why I would wanna linger with it so much. Why do you wanna write about this? Because it was horrible the first time. Why do you wanna linger with it now? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really determined to find some beauty in it. And I often think about who needs this book? Like who's at the other end needing this book? And that motivates me to keep going even though it's hard. So.
0: But your sister wanted you to tell this story. She did. And she said to you when she was in hospice that I want you to tell all of it, even the ugliness. Yes. So what do you think we get? Because I was just saying to you before we started taping that um, sometimes when you read memoirs, it's hard for us to be critical with ourselves.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But you were very hard with yourself. So what do you think we get uh, from writing about the ugliness?
1: Well, I remember when my sister died, I was really craving a book that would linger in the moments of when the person died or when people behaved poorly, because we have this real tendency to gloss over those moments, because conflict is hard and we don't like to sit with it. But I really believe the power of a really good true story is one that looks at those really dark moments. And the requirement is that I'm gonna do the same to me and treat myself as a character as I would everyone else in the book or the reader has no reason to trust you. They don't trust that you're telling a true story if you don't also accept the moments where you were flawed. Because realistically, no one's all hero and no one is all failure either. We have all these spaces in between and that's where I think story lies, in the gray.
0: And we go on that journey with you because your perception of your sister changes uh, as you, with different life experiences. We have a picture of the two of you, and it is so adorable. Um, Can you tell us what your relationship was like with your sister Megan when you were kids?
1: Megan was just everything, (laughs) look how cute she was. Is she giving you a headlock? (laughs) I like to think she's not, she's also weirdly wearing a negligee, which feels somewhat inappropriate, but she loved to play dress up. (laughs) Megan was the sister that you hungered for. Um, I was chronically shy, did not make friends well. And when you're in a military family like we grew up in, where everyone's sort of cycling in and out of your life all the time, when you're shy and quiet, it gets pretty lonely. Megan would let me play with her all the time, even though she was three years older than me. She she didn't pick on me. She didn't make me feel small. She welcomed me at every turn. She was the sister everyone would have wanted.
0: Well, you write, you have a line. I mean, you have a lot of um, uh, writing in this book that just kind of takes your breath away. Thank but you. there's a line that's quite profound. You write, it is such a special sort of pain to love someone you don't like very much. You talk about, uh, you talk a lot about how likable your sister was to other people. Yeah. Why not with you?
1: Megan, Megan, got addicted to various drugs when she was younger around teenage time and she made a lot of really difficult decisions she was stealing from us she was stealing from me she was calling me at all hours and at this time i was also an officer in the forces so she was at some cases putting my career in jeopardy and i was angry i but i also didn't understand i didn't understand addiction in the effort that i made as i got older Um, to understand the complex nature of addiction and the behavior that people will enact in order to feed that addiction. So she was really hard to love. She was um, not a great person, but then it was also part of going, well, sometimes neither was I, and she loved me back too. So, but it is really hard to love someone who you have to separate yourself from for your own safety and sanity, which is what I eventually had to do.
0: Well, you reach a crossroads and you make this really, I mean, I'm guessing a very difficult decision. You testify in a trial against your sister. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to do that? And what was the impact to you?
1: My family was really brushing a lot of her behavior under the carpet. And she'd been stealing from a lot of different people in her work. Um, And it was more so she had an agreement with the judge, so I didn't have to go to a trial, but she wanted me to speak in her favor. And my parents kept lying and paying people off and trying to fix it, but it wasn't fixing it. And I knew that if she didn't actually get some help, if she didn't really see how bad it was, it was never going to stop. And I had lost her so long before that I wanted to lose her in a way that honored her in the choices she was making in terms of, she had to take control of that decision and I had to step back and accept that I couldn't change it for her. So, telling the judge the reality of how many times this had been swept under the rug was the thing that finally got her pushing to get treatment and she acknowledged that to me, um, even though I think it was a decision that was really hard for my parents to accept.
0: Well, how old were you both when this happened?
1: I would have been in my early twenties okay. and she was in her late twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what you mentioned your parents, how did this impact
0: your parents and your relationship?
1: It really divided us because like my parent, I say my parents really ostriched about it, you know, really stuck their heads in the sand about the reality. And it was funny, maybe a couple years ago and uh, before she had died and, and my my dad said, well, you know, it was really bad. Your sister's addiction. I was like, yeah, (laughs) I know. That's what I was saying all this time. Uh, Because we had shared friends and I knew how bad it was. And I knew uh, I heard people talking, whereas my parents weren't part of that world. Mm -hmm. Um, And because she was calling me and kind of playing that sister card to have me keep things quiet. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was exhausted, but it definitely pitted me against my parents often because they, They tended to think I thought the worst of her, but of course I didn't. I loved her more than anything. I just wanted her well. Why do they think that though? Um, I wonder if it's potentially sometimes because Megan had cancer when she was younger as a baby and they were very close to losing her. Mm. And I think there's a special sort of tenderness for losing, almost losing a child. Um, Whereas I was always a overachiever, and um, really studious and really got things done. I was sort of the responsible one. You were Um, okay. But to my own detriment sometimes, Mm. I think. When you think back during that
0: time, what was it about you to make that decision? Because I just keep thinking you were really young. I remember being in my 20s where it's just about self and you had to make a decision that impacted uh, your relationship with your sister, your relationship with your family. And what if it didn't work out? What if she still went down that road of addiction?
1: I had to know that I did what I thought was best for her. And I'm, I mean, I'm honest in the book too. I wanted to be right. Like I wanted someone, I wanted to not be the horrible sister. I wanted to be the one who was really cognizant of what was going on and trying to take a stand to change it. I think if I hadn't spoken to the judge I always would have wondered, even if she continued on that path, at least I held a firm line in terms of, I was going to support groups and I was trying to read all these books and I was going to Al-Anon for families, trying to understand how to support her. And I had to recognize supporting my sister had to be from a distance because it was the only way that was safe Mm -hmm. and continuing to enable her was doing nothing. Your
0: relationship with your sister changes for the better after she had uh, her first child,
1: what happened? I think Megan finally started to recognize there were people outside of her own sphere because she suddenly had this little one that she wanted to give everything to. Mm-hmm. And I had something out of my own sphere because I was in my 20s and we, I came together and I ended up seeing her but, and seeing my nephew for the first time and going, Oh, this is what it's about. Mm -hmm. It's about family. It's about so much more than us. It's about this next generation. It's about legacy. Uh, It's not all about me and what's making me upset today. And sometimes you have to forgive and move on Mm -hmm. if the person's making the right reparations, I think.
0: Well, your sister becomes pregnant with her second child and then probably the worst news ever, what happens next?
1: It might, yeah, it was a pretty impossible day. My sister had been in hospital for quite some time because she had kidney cancer as a child. She had a lot of scar tissue in her abdomen. So she'd been in hospital and they thought the baby was catching on the scar tissue, but it turned out it was a um, massive cancerous tumor and the baby had been hiding it the whole time. So we found out on, ironically, a day I also found out I couldn't have children. My husband was deployed overseas for a year at the time, and She had the baby quite about seven weeks early, I believe, and then found out about the tumor.
0: How soon did you realize that it could be the end? Immediately,
1: for me. I think I was one of the very few people who immediately recognized. I mean, you only had to Google the type. It was a sarcoma, which is super rare. Um, You only had to Google it to know, and It was a very strange twilight time in the couple months after uh, because the tumor ruptured and she had to have a bunch of massive surgeries. And then it was like we didn't talk about it. We sort of danced in this weird period of pretending things were fine even though they really felt like they were crumbling. But you didn't want to push her because it was kind of like pushing her to face a reality she wasn't ready for. Who wants to face a reality they're leaving behind their two children?
0: and their loved ones. Well, um, you talk about when your sister came with you to pick up your husband at the airport who had been deployed. At one point, you tell each other you love each other and uh, you write this. For years, I denied her those words, like I wanted her to earn them as though love was something to earn. And I'd always looked down on her for the way she gave love so freely, always willing to risk getting hurt if it meant a chance at a family. That judgment was so foolish in the light of everything we face now. Hard not to read that without crying. I have tissues. Thank goodness.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just own it. I've been
0: crying all over the city, it feels. Um, You know, what did you learn from the way that your sister, in the way that she showed her love?
1: She was just, you know, I judged her for such a long time because I felt she was promiscuous, and I judged that. I judged that she just wanted to be loved so badly she'd do anything. She would change her personality. She would change who she was. And I would think these men don't deserve you and how lovely you are. But I was one of those men too and how I treated her in that I made it like she had to earn my love back. Whereas really she just remained being, when she got clean, she went back to being my sister. And She just didn't punish people for their bad behavior. All those years that I said harsh things to her and I was cruel because I was angry, she never held it against me. She just loved freely and that's a beautiful thing in a world that's quite ugly at the moment and we don't do that enough. And it
0: seemed as if she was hyper-aware of the mistakes that she had made. Yes. Because towards the end, when she was in hospice, she was in a lot of pain. And at one point, she was worried about taking uh, too much. Yes. Because, and then you were joking, like you would do these, you call them death jokes? Yes, where, our death jokes. Where mm-hmm. you would say, oh, are you worried you're going to overdose? Yes. But she seemed to, to the very end, she still, uh, she was very hard on herself, on the mistakes that she had made. Did you get that sense from
1: her? Less that she was hard on herself, more that she just really owned it Mm. and had made such a turnaround that she didn't wanna take steps backwards. So she, um, I think it was something I always really admired about her was I'm really hard on myself when I mess up, which I do often and she would just sing it from the rooftops. We've kind of giggled that we came from these super quiet parents who were like, we don't share anything. Whereas now, my sister and I would would be like, where did we come from? You know, (laughs) here we are. We we overshare everything and because it builds community when we see shared suffering, I think. And Megan really recognized that. And she wanted um,
0: your whole family to be together, but there was tension with her partner. Yes. I don't, You don't have to say, you could say, Nam, stop. I don't want to talk about this. But after reading the book, I was really worried about your niece and nephew. Um, Do you get a chance to see them? Are they still in your life?
1: We see them sometimes. My husband's military, so we live quite far away. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's harder to see them. My parents are disabled, so my parents can't look after two young children. Um, Megan's mother-in-law makes a lot of effort. For, for us with the children, and we're lucky in that way. But they are thriving, but they do say things sometimes that are sort of a stab to the heart. Like what? My, my nephew told me once, auntie, you smell just like my mom. Mm. And how do, you, how do you answer that? Um, just try to keep the memory alive while not making them feel like they have to be beholden to her. She loved them, she gave them the gift of that love, and I have to count on that carrying them through. She loved
0: being a mother. Oh, yeah. And she even left them little uh, memories for them to remember her.
1: What did she do? She recorded her voice. Friends coordinated it for us. She recorded her voice, just leaving them little messages, and then we put them in Build-A-Bears. She's written cards to them for up until their 18th birthday, and I have those, so I'm holding on to those. Um, It was kind of sad sometimes at the end these grasps at legacy that she was attempting. And she kept saying, it just doesn't feel like enough. And so sometimes I think that's why I wrote the book. I just wanted it to be like a fuller legacy that gave a bigger, beautiful picture of what can come from overcoming.
0: Were you able to forgive her for how she behaved when she was younger? Absolutely.
1: But it was harder to forgive some of the decisions as she was was dying.
0: Um, I want to read one more quote uh, from when Megan was staying with you and you were settling in to watch a movie together. You write, She lifted the sheets let me climb in, and I felt heat radiate from her. It was in moments like this where I obsessed about filling the blank space with all the things we'd missed out on. I wanted to share in everything now, but didn't want to spook her into sensing my rising tide of fear that we were running out of time to share these stories. How did you help each other cope with knowing the end was near?
1: I think I was, she said to me that she often would tell me when she was scared because she didn't want to upset my parents. Because how do you cope with losing a child? I tried to really make that space for her to tell me when she was frightened. It was like a weird balance between... I don't want to cry too much with her because I want to be strong for her, but I don't want her to think I don't care, so I need to cry a little bit. We laughed a lot. We, we would have a lot of moments of... Um, we would do this thing before we would fall asleep because she would get quite anxious, mm-hmm. and we would share little secrets that we'd always kept from one another. Half of them that she thought she was keeping from me, she hadn't at all kept from me, and I already knew about them. But we... We just really clung tight. You know, I remember reading this book about when you're in caregiving and how difficult it can be to just embrace that moment Mm -hmm. because you do, you get nervous about losing time, but all you can do is be with them. Be with them, hold their hand, rub her feet. Paint her nails. Paint her nails. Um, I have a lot of grief over the lack of photos from our adulthood together because we don't have any, because we were so apart for such a long time. But I think we really made it up to one another. We just treat it every day like it's still gonna be an experience. Just because you're in a hospice doesn't mean you're not still alive and still here. Um, I remember one night she wanted to sneak down the hallway of the hospice to go get a snack. And I was like, we don't have to sneak, we can just walk down the hallway. But she wanted to tiptoe, like, it could have been drugs, but she wanted to tiptoe past the nurses and- She was on a lot of drugs to manage the pain. Yes, and we were tiptoeing down the hallway and eating ice cream out of tubs together, like we were having a slumber party.
0: Mm. Well, you mentioned caregiving. Um, You wrote about the staff at the hospice. With your, uh, who were taking care of your sister and helping you. And you wrote about how intimate those care roles were and how important they came to be for your sister and your family. Yeah. You also write um, caregiving for the people, caregiving for your sister uh, before she died was a gift.
1: How was it a gift? I'm never gonna be a mom. And I often think my sister gave me the gift of being a mother, of teaching me what it was to love something so much bigger than myself that I would never stop giving even when it almost cracked me in half. I I was a mother to her in some way, even though she had a, a great mother. And even um, though you were the little sister? Even though I was the little sister. Um, and she even, she joked about, me, about, about that with me once. And, because um, I was at a point where I was holding bags of her vomit and having to wipe her and bathe her. But there was this really beautiful intimacy. What does it say when you've had this, when you have love where you know it's gonna be so horrid when they're gone just because they're not there, that's loving well and she, that's a gift that helped me to move through the grief. When did you lose Megan? She died on August 17th, 2018, after about six weeks in the hospice. And the nurses actually, I just had a fundraiser there with the book, we sold the book there. Um, the nurses, I was filming another show to promote my first book and it was live. It was the social, it was live. And I show up and all the nurses were in the audience. And you know, there's, that's family that you've made. They've lived this life altering thing with you. And so it's, an, it's another part of the gift that if it's going to happen, it's going to be horrible anyways. You have to just embrace the little parts of beauty that have come from it.
0: She was so proud of you. She went to one of your lectures and she was just (laughs) beaming. And throughout the book, um, she was writing about how she wouldn't be around for when your first book came out. Yeah. And she also left you notes on her phone to listen to after she passed away. It felt like she was just kind of like, what did that mean for you to be able to hear her voice after she had passed?
1: I had asked her to record something she wanted me to hear in particular and I was sitting with her, holding her hand. And she just kept telling me over and over that she loved me. And in the audiobook, actually, it's my sister's voice that they've used of her saying that recording when I write about it. Um, and when I'm having a really hard day, I just put it on and I'm reminded she was just my biggest fan. Um, if I would write, I wrote something and it was in McLean's and she went around screaming like, and she was so excited and I, just everything I did, she, she worshiped it and it was almost embarrassing because I didn't feel I deserved it, but she always reminded me that I did. And coming to see me teach that one day was like this culmination of, in some way it felt like she knew she could go because I was gonna be okay. I at least would be okay. And we would work together for us all to be okay. Um, there was a lot of comfort there.
0: Um, I mentioned that she wanted you to write a book about your relationships. Yeah. What do you think she would think of uh, this book?
1: She would love it. She would absolutely love it. She would... Megan was really great because she wouldn't have been upset about the harder moments that I write about. Some of it she got to read. Some chapters I had written long before and she was... of them i was writing it while she was actively dying um it was like a promise to her and it was a promise i really wanted to keep i think she liked the idea she said oh i'll live on in your book that's i'll live on so i have that that's quite the thing
0: there's a scene in the book when she does pass and your father, I believe, is on the left side, your mother is on the right, and you're at, the, at her feet. Yes. And the way you come together to let her know that she's not alone, that she's surrounded with the people that she loves. Just, you know, um, congratulations. And I think this Thank book you. is going to help a lot of people.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And my love to your family. Thank you. Your parents and your husband. Thank you.